Live from Las Vegas, it's Cover It with Teddy Covers. Hey, welcome to Cover It with Teddy Covers here on Sirius XM Channel 204, The Sports Grid, a radio network. Over the course of the next hour, I'm going to talk a whole bunch of college football. Brad Powers is the guest at BradPowers7 on Twitter. And Brad and I are going to break down a lot of what we saw in week one. And we're going to try to answer the number one question for college football and the NFL. (laughs) Do we believe what we saw in week one? (laughs) You know, what teams just had a bad game? What teams do we have to put big red flags over their season because of what we just saw? What teams look great last week that maybe aren't that great? And what teams are going to continue to overachieve? I'll do my best in this hour. We're going to go through a whole bunch of these squads and talk about who's bet on moving forward, who's bet against moving forward after those week one showings. But first, before we bring in Brad, I do want to talk about the contests here in Las Vegas. I'm going to talk about a couple of them. I'm going to talk about the Survivor Contest. And again, Survivor Contest, they're everywhere. All right. From a betting perspective, my friend Steve Fezzik came up with this concept, and it was brilliant. I was mad I didn't think of it. He was talking about how in the Survivor Contest, there's only one thing you got to do. you got to put a bet in on Tampa for that Thursday night game, because then if it loses, you can get another bet in, and you can still be in the contest. <laughs> uh, but... You know, you can re-buy your entry and get in again if Tampa loses. That's the only situation you're allowed to do that, in theory. Or have a second entry or have someone else put an entry in for you, however you want to do it. But you can come in with a play on Tampa in the opener. If the Bucks happen to lose that game, 20% of the field is gone. Huge positive expectation. <laughs> you know, if they don't make that last uh, game-winning field goal. When you're talking about these type of contests, where, yeah, it's one game a week, and your team's got to win or lose, or whatever you do, your survivor pools. When you have something as simple as, oh, wow, Tampa lost that opening Thursday night, that takes your average pool into a huge positive expectation territory. Tampa wins on Thursday night, which they did. You're not in that territory. So it's not a must-go-get-in-this-contest-right-away uh, for NFL survivors. Like it would have been had Dallas hung on to win that ballgame. That's something to think about for Survivor Contest next year, perhaps. I want to talk about the season win contest over the Westgate Superbook as well. In many ways, the definition of positive expectation. Now, these are lines that they have the lines up for all 32 NFL teams, season win totals for 32 NFL teams. But those lines were posted when the contest first went up. I don't know if it was June or July. And lots of bettors went and put their... Season win picks in at that point and over the course of the last couple months. I put my season win picks in on Wednesday before week one, right before Thursday. The deadline was uh, Thursday afternoon. I got them in Wednesday night. Why did I wait? I waited because we're talking about stale lines. And this is something, again, we talk about it on, uh, you know, conceptually in contests. We're using contest lines instead of the real lines in the betting market. And over the course of the year, in these, you know, pick five contests, in this, you know, the super contest type of, or the circa millions type of contest, uh, where you're picking five games a week, what you're going to see, the professional bettors, they're constantly going to have the off-market numbers 
on their cards week in, week out. If the line is three and they're catching three and a half, they don't think about handicapping that game. They're getting a positive expectation bet without any handicapping. They're taking a three-point dog, and they're getting three and a half points with them. So if the game lands three, as so many games in the NFL do, <laughs> uh, it's a W. You'll see that type of taking advantage of stale lines as being a big factor in these contests. It's a factor on parlay cards as well. And again, in the modern world, you're making bets on your phone and not going into the sports book as much. The parlay cards don't matter the way they once did. At the same time, the cards themselves often have stale numbers. But for this Westgate season win contest, and again, it was like a $200 entry. It's not a huge entry. You get three entries if you want them. Um, you had a number of season wins that, again, if you're betting these at the opener, if you're betting these a month ago or six weeks ago or two months ago, you're not going to get any opinion from the line. But, for example, when the Bucks are lined at 12 and a half wins, and the contest line for Tampa is 11 and a half wins. I don't do any handicapping on that. Not even a little bit. This is what I do. Bucks over 11 and a half because the real line is 12 and a half. And there were so many of those on here. You know, Colts under is taking money, uh, significant money from when the, uh, the contest lines were created, obviously, with quarterback issues. Doesn't matter what opinion I have on Indy. From a contest perspective, I got them under 10 wins. The market has them at nine wins with money to the under. You know, Saints are a similar story, under nine and a half wins, right? Now the market has them nine to the under. So there were a number of these. Maybe not half the card, but I'd say there was at least 10 or 12 of them. And they're not automatic W's, but you're getting the best of it. You're putting positive expectation wagers into your portfolio. That's what we try to do. And in this circumstance, again, it's a contest. I'm a long shot. No matter what, I'm a long shot to win it. There's hundreds of other entries. But waiting till the last minute on some of these contests is most assuredly a positive expectation opportunity. It's not too late to get on board. If you want to get in time to contest today, it will be tomorrow. Cover it continues. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Welcome back to Cover It with Teddy Covers here on SiriusXM Channel 204, the Sports Grid our Radio Network. And I got to say, there's nothing like being informed with all the odds, analysis, and best bets all day long. How do you get that? It's real simple. Follow us on Twitter at SportsGrid and at SportsGridTV. You can follow me on Twitter at Teddy underscore Covers. And you can follow our guest today, Brad Powers, on Twitter at Brad Powers 7. Mr. Powers, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks for having me on, Teddy. Long time no talk. Yeah, yeah. Pleasure's all mine. And obviously, I told you I'd have you on uh, at the start of college football. We've got a couple of weeks in the books. And I want to ask right off the bat, I want to talk some theory. And then I want to talk some, do we like this team? Do we bet against this team? So we're going to go through a bunch of teams that had standout performances one way or the other. 
in week one of college football. But the number one question that betters have to ask themselves, do we believe what we saw in week one? Or do we look for the supposedly weak teams that played well and the supposedly good teams that played poorly in week one to revert to the mean here in week two? How do you make that assessment, Brad? What's your thoughts on believing what you saw last week versus uh, maybe we better tap on the brakes a little bit before we take these opinions too seriously? (laughs) Well, it is the question for week two, and there's no question about it. And as usual, it's probably a case-by-case basis is my best answer. Normally, I would say this, though, Teddy. I would say be very careful of overreacting to what you just saw. However, there's a major caveat this year. Remember, these teams are experienced as ever. Uh, I mean, we're talking on average three, four more returning starters than ever before. I mean, these teams were together last year; they're together this year. And you know, I, you know, but comparing it to previous seasons where I normally wouldn't overreact, I just think that you know the market tends to do that for me. And then this time, I, I am going to believe more what I saw from week one just because. I mean, we're not dealing with a lot of youthful teams where they're going to grow throughout the course of the season. A lot of teams have fifth-year and even in some cases sixth-year seniors. How much better can they get? They've been in college five or six years. <laughs> well, how do you tell the difference? I mean, when you're looking at teams that, you know, you're looking at a team that had disappointing uh, week one. I don't know. who if, uh, let's, let's take Wisconsin as an example. Okay, Wisconsin moved the ball. They had red zone problems all day. Uh, they turned the ball over. They screwed up in a big way near the end of the ball game, and next thing you know, Penn State walks away oh, with the W. How do we tell the difference between teams that are primed for a bounce-back showing this week compared to teams that, A, might be flat or disappointed this week, or B, just might not be that good, and they're primed for a disappointing season? What criteria do you like to look at? Well, there's one in particular I like, and it is, the stat for me uh, because it tends to show itself more often than not in, in week one uh, it's sloppiness of play whether it's you know penalties or turnovers so when I say a case-by-case basis I'll go to that one stat turnovers and see is that the reason why this team vastly overperformed or underperformed what was the turnover margin was it plus four plus five is it something that's correctable was it something fluky just and they just so lucky, you know, recovered a bunch of fumbles that were on the ground and they got fortunate in that way. Or was it, you know, specifically really bad quarterback play where I'm not sure that those interceptions are going to get cleaned up. Uh, I, that is what I look for is the turnover. So with regards to Wisconsin, I expect a much better performance moving forward. But as always, Teddy, uh, it's more art than science. It's not, there's not perfect dream scenarios. Graham Mertz, the quarterback for Wisconsin, it wasn't his first time having issues. I mean, he hasn't been that great of a quarterback since the opener last year against Illinois. So while I expect the rest of the team to perform better, I'm not sure that Graham Mertz is ever going to be that guy. So and turnovers, but but then again, it goes right back to me going on a case-by-case basis. I'm about to get distracted here because I have to talk about Graham Mertz for a minute before I ask the next question. <laughs> but, uh, but with Wisconsin quarterbacks, I've seen this since Brooks Bollinger was there, okay? They always get QBs that are like top 50 recruits, guys that have potential NFL upside. And I swear, whether it's Jack Cohn or whoever else they've had, uh, you know, if Wisconsin QBs underachieve always. Why is that? 
Well, I, I'm, the offense always. is not necessarily – yeah, the offense isn't set up for him to have much success always. I mean, outside of the one year of Russell Wilson. Uh, you know, Graham Mertz is supposed to be different because Graham Mertz yeah. is the highest rate, of recru- highest rate of recruit we've ever seen. And then well, what happens his first week, he goes out there and has one incompletion and throws five touchdown passes. But but since then, he's he had two touchdowns and seven picks. So I'm not sure what it is. It's obviously a Wisconsin problem because look at what Jack Cohn just did the other night. I mean, he was a, a game manager, a pedestrian quarterback. He goes out to his first start at Notre Dame, throws for nearly 400 yards, would have been 400 yards if they didn't have a couple of drops by the, the tight end and throws four touchdown passes. He was, you know, probably one of the biggest positives for Notre Dame the entire night, and he was the biggest question mark heading in. So, I mean, when you look at it, to me, it's just a, a Wisconsin problem. I don't know if it's system-related where they, they focus so much on the run game that they'll just never get, get the pass game going consistently. Yeah, it's one of these – it's just a baffler because it's, not, it's one of these deals like for the last 15 years, every year, Wisconsin, oh, this is the year for their quarterback. And every year <laughs> we see what Graham Mertz did last week, which is screw up. Um, let me ask you one more right here because it's, uh, this is a really important question heading into week two. All right. what You talked about turnover differential and that being a huge one. What Are there any other statistics you're looking at right away? And what stats aren't meaningful at all until there's more data behind them? And further than that, what college football stats aren't meaningful at all even when there is a bunch of data behind, behind them? Uh, talk to me about stats right now. What we look at right away what we're going to look at after we have a little bit more data and what just isn't important when it comes to college football statistics. Well, number one is always turnovers. I mean, that's the, 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 you want to know who, what the most predictive stat is in covering the spread, it's turnovers. The problem is you can't predict turnovers unless you you got, you got two really good defensive ends that can force uh, fumbles uh, getting after the quarterback or you just got a really good quarterback that doesn't throw picks. So, I mean, your number one most important stat isn't necessarily a predictable Outside of that, I'll say this, and this is where a lot of the stats guys and the model makers get it wrong, and I'm not saying you can't win by doing that, but the, the big thing that, that everyone misses uh, that are so stat-dependent is strength of schedule. There's such disparity. I mean, you had 40 FBS teams playing FCS teams, and the market can't even appropriately power rate the FCS teams, you know, the good ones from the bad ones. And, yeah, you can have the greatest YPP yards per play stats that everybody, all, all the wise guys love. But, I mean, who are those yards per play stats against? I mean, big difference between Alabama, like Miami had poor stats, or, or somebody playing South Alabama, like, you know, Southern Miss had such poor stats. So, I mean, that, that's the one thing. I Look, I look at stats and whatnot. It usually takes me three, four weeks, but I always go back to this. I mean, what was the strength of schedule that they arrived at those stats? And there's such disparity in college football. It's not the NFL, a league of parity. I just think that too many people that you rely on them, Teddy, to be honest with you, and a lot of the model makers, the stats dependent, the handicappers, betters, you name it, they just missed the boat on it. Yeah, I mean, uh, my personal experience with college football is I am not a stat-based handicapper in college football. I don't know many successful college football handicappers who do use a stat-based approach. 30 seconds for the break, and it's a yes or no question. Can you beat college football using only statistics? No. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that, that, that took less than 30 seconds. You threw me off there. Uh, but the bottom line is, 
I'm with you. And it feels like so many of these math models and so many of the algorithms that are used by some of the syndicates, in my mind, they're disserving. <laughs> um, you're going to find stuff in college football with your eyes watching the games and reading everything you can read. When it comes to breaking down the stats, you can get led in a lot of wrong directions. Cover it continues after this. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. We're talking with uh, Brad Powers at BradPower7 on Twitter. Extended time today breaking down the world of college football as we head into, this is week two, I guess it was a week zero and now week one, so this will be week two, but the third week of college football action. Let's break down week one, and I don't want to spend too much time looking backwards. All right, we want to look forwards, but you have to understand what just happened in order to bet it effectively moving forward. So I'm going to ask you this uh, in in an awkward way, but what were the biggest surprises to the quote-unquote pundits? You know, the people on the talking heads on TV that don't bet. God, there's so much bad betting information out there from people that don't bet. I'll give you a hint. If you're looking for betting info, get it from betters, <laughs> not from TV talking heads. But uh, let me ask you this, uh, Brad. The biggest surprises to you from week one, or the biggest surprises to the pundits in week one that were not surprises for you. I'll go to the Northern Iowa-Iowa State game. Northern Iowa was my top bet, and it wasn't just you know because I was able to cash that bet. I, I just I didn't downgrade Iowa State that much from that performance because I kind of expected maybe not a six-point win, but I expected a low-scoring, uh, something that wouldn't look pretty at all to, to the naked eye. I, I mean, people just did not understand the past history that Iowa State has with Northern Iowa. They have no idea who Northern Iowa is as a program, the best probably defense at the FCS level. That was a game where I was just not surprised at all. Even though Iowa State nearly lost outright as a four-touchdown plus favorite, just wasn't that big of a deal for me. Uh, I I didn't go and say, hey, Iowa State, all of a sudden, I'm going to throw them in the trash uh, right now. That that just wasn't the case for me. Yeah, and to me, I got to call Mississippi State. You know, they turned the ball over six times uh, in that ballgame against Louisiana Tech. And go back and literally, go back and look at Mike Leach's teams in week one. You can go back to Texas Tech and Washington State and here in Starkville. They don't come out of the gate ready. You know, that's a rhythm offense, and they're never in rhythm week one. Like, oh, Louisiana Tech's taking it to Mississippi State. Well, yeah, uh, that wasn't a shocker for me. I'm mad Uh, I didn't make money off of that one. I should have. I just didn't trust Skip Holtz's Bulldogs in that game. And I should have. So uh, that was a surprise to some. That wasn't a surprise to you. What about a positive, something that you were surprised by, a positive surprise that you saw uh, last week in college football? Well, yeah, I'll I'll go to UCLA, uh, a a team that I just needed to see it uh, against. You know, I mean, I'm not sure that LSU is going to be great this year, but I I do expect LSU to be better than what they were a year ago. And the fact the way UCLA beat LSU at the line of scrimmage, I mean, outrushing them more than two to one, Controlling that game wasn't about turnovers. 
or anything like that. Just flat out was the better team, better coach team. I kind of figured that going into it, but uh, yeah, I just UCLA two games in a row just passed the, the eye test for me. A bunch of transfers came in, especially at running back that's helped them out. Uh, I mean, there's nothing really fluky about how they're winning football games right now. And uh, I mean, to me, just to get that second data point that I'm craving uh, to, to to see another positive one for UCLA, that was you know the the team. I wasn't stunned by it, Teddy, but uh, it was. I mean, I expect UCLA to be good this year, but they even exceed my expectations. So the one that shocked me was Northern Illinois going to Georgia Tech and winning that game. Oh up, and God, I watched yeah. it, and there was nothing fraudulent about that win. Northern Illinois was a better team. Um, and part of the thought process, you know, you, you reevaluate afterwards. Part of my thought process afterwards is, hey, this is a Georgia Tech squad that just isn't used to being in this big favorites role. They don't know they're supposed to be pounding the weekly. <laughs> they haven't won a whole lot of games in recent years. So uh, I, my takeaway from that was, yeah, maybe this isn't a team that you want to lay points with uh, moving forward, certainly not double digits with. The other takeaway is that Northern Illinois is better than people think they are. Uh, you know, they uh, everyone had them in the bottom five. I shouldn't say bottom five. In the bottom 15 in the power rankings coming to the season. Northern Illinois winless last year uh, off a disappointing season the previous year as well. Um, and certainly that was, a, there was, it wasn't a fraudulent victory. They earned it. And when you're going on the road and earning wins as a lower, you know, at an ACC school, when you're a lower tier Mac program, that uh, certainly something that stands out to me. What about negatives? You know, what was the biggest negative surprise in week one for you? Which team do you have to reevaluate significantly? after their week one struggle? Uh, Navy. Uh, I, I just, I mean, that was one of the biggest bets that I missed. And what obviously wasn't even close. We lost 49-7 to seven to Marshall, who had a first-year coach. I, I thought, look, I wasn't thinking Navy was going to win a bunch of games this year. I just expected more out of them because I thought they were greatly hurt last year. If you remember at the start of the season, they didn't even practice tackling prior to the, the nightmare performance on Labor Day night against BYU, uh, where it certainly looked like they hadn't practiced tackling. Uh, forget the six months look like they never practiced it in their lifetime i just expected more out of the navy program i thought they'd bounce back a little bit at least from performance wise i know the schedule stuff but to on your home field catching a field goal against a team that i had some uncertainty about in marshall lose 49 to 7 uh, i mean this navy program was already trending in the wrong direction might even get worse because right now teddy i only have them favored in one game the rest of the season against, uh, you know, a terrible Temple team. That's it. Every other game, an underdog. And it's worth noting now, what is that? That the last four games that Navy has played, they haven't reached 10 points. Uh, seven, oh. six, zero, and seven. That's not a positive trend for an offense. No Josh Dobbs for the middies uh, anymore. I'm going to call Cal. Uh, as my uh, team, uh, I mean, I don't know that I was surprised that they lost to the Wolfpack, but don't be fooled for a minute by that final score. It says it was a close game, 22-17. to 17. Nevada, uh, Cal scored two touchdowns. They had scripted plays. So their first two drives scored two touchdown drives. After that, they were outscored 22-3 to three the rest of the way, and it wasn't that close. Nevada probably, uh, they blew a couple of scoring chances in that game. They settled for field goals a couple of times, but the Cal, a team that, again, I, I didn't have high expectations for. But, you know, to see them get badly outplayed at home by a Mountain West school, again, that to me, a pretty big 
red flag for the Cal Bears. They're one uh, that surprised me. So let's get into it, okay? We have a bunch of teams to talk about, and I'd rather spend our time talking about some of these teams than talking about the concepts here. I love talking conceptually about betting, and it's important on every show to do some theory as well as some practice, but let's start talking about some of these teams. So I'm going to ask you a real simple question. Is this Were the red flags in week one big red flags that, hey, this team's season may not be anything like what we thought it was going to be even a week ago, or is this team now bet on moving forward because of their week one struggles? Again, I did a, a research study. It was a couple years ago. Um, it was a while back now, but the concept was real simple. I looked at the very best teams against the spread in college football year in, year out, and the very worst teams. And the commonality, the one commonality that I found was that the best point spread teams in college football consistently had a bad loss early in the year. At the end of the year, wow, they were undervalued for two months after that bad loss. And the worst point spread teams often had a good win in one of their first few games and then were overvalued thereafter. So as we go through this list of teams, Brad, I'm going to ask you, is this a red flag bet against moving forward? Or does this team now have value? And we have a ton of teams to go through. So let's see how many of them we can get through. The Washington Huskies, they're on national TV Saturday night in the big house in Ann Arbor. They may be on national TV in the big house in Ann Arbor without their top four wide receivers. What do you make of Washington's straight up loss at home? For a team that was supposed to, for again, an FCS squad, for a team that was supposed to be competing for a Pac-12 title this year. Yeah, typically I'd say bet on just because I like buying teams that lose to FCS schools, but this one's a red flag for me, Teddy. There's just no playmakers on the outside, whether it's injury or recruiting or whatnot, running back and wide receiver. On top of it, they don't have a quarterback that can throw it down the field consistently unless they go to the true freshman. But number one, uh, reason why uh, it's a red flag for me, offensive play calling is really terrible. Uh, Donovan's the name of the offensive coordinator. He almost fired James Franklin at Penn State uh, a few years back. So I, I just major question marks about Jimmy Lake, a first-time head coach. I only had four games last year, and, and I, I think he's a significant downgrade from Chris Peterson. So major red flag for Washington. Why? And, of course, the betting markets are right there with you. The look-ahead line was Washington minus three in Ann Arbor, and the Huskies will kick off tonight as seven-point underdogs are in that range. So the markets are right there with you on, whoa, 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 we better rethink the Washington Huskies uh, right away. Uh, you talked about Wisconsin earlier as a team that, you know, again, they have Eastern Michigan this week. It's the right opponent to bounce back against. Do the Badgers offer bet-on potential moving forward after that week one showing, or is this another team with some red flags? Nope, bet on for me. I bet on them in this game on the opener against Eastern Michigan. Uh, took advantage of that. And I, I'm going to look to bet on Wisconsin against Notre Dame in a couple weeks. They get a bye after this week. They'll get a nice win, a bye, and then I think they'll beat Notre Dame in a few weeks. Sure. And one thing that's shy, you know, when you're looking at those Wisconsin defensive stats, this is a team whose defensive numbers over the last five years, only two teams are better, Clemson and Alabama. So... Uh, defensively, nice nothing to be ashamed about. And the, the amazing thing is, like, I was like, oh, Clemson stinks. Clemson's defense was incredible in that game against Georgia. Yeah, flat out incredible in that game. Oh, Clemson stinks now. No, they don't stink. We'll talk more about Clemson <laughs> and Wisconsin and Miami, Florida and Mississippi State 
and Missouri and Wazoo and Oklahoma and North Carolina, so much more. Plus the teams that look good. We're just getting started here on Cover It with Teddy Covers. Again, follow me on Twitter at Teddy Insurance Covers. Follow Brad Powers on Twitter at Brad Power 7 And follow SportsGrid on Twitter at SportsGrid and at SportsGrid TV. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Extended time today with Brad Powers here on Cover It with Teddy Covers. Brad Powers, a longtime college football expert, a guy whose opinion I genuinely respect, and a guy who I'm excited to pick his brain right here and right now about which of these teams we want to be betting on and which ones we want to be betting against. Let's talk about the Clemson Tigers. All right, obviously, the offensive line got annihilated in the game against Georgia, much the way it did in their BCS the bowl game last year. Is this going to be an ongoing issue for Clemson? Is the, the skill position talent an issue? Is OL an issue? Is Clemson a bet against team? Or will they bounce back fine off of that week one showing? They're going to bounce back fine, Teddy, just because of the quality or lack thereof of opposition uh, in the ACC that they're going to face. There's, there's nobody on the rest of their schedule that will be able to take advantage uh, of a subpar offensive line. You know, where the red flag would be is, you know, if they got to face an Ohio State or an Alabama or a Georgia type, if they, you know, make, somehow make the playoff again, then, then the red flag will come back on. But for the next 11 games, I think Clemson will be easily a double-digit favorite, and I, I don't see them, uh, you know, slipping up anywhere. And let me ask you this. Again, this is for a theoretical game four months from now, so I don't want to spend too much time with it. But by the end of the year, if the Tigers run the table, wouldn't that offensive line, wouldn't we look at that offensive line and go, yeah, it's just fine now? Um, but, you know, they had to, playing, facing Georgia week one is no easy task. But once you've had a dozen games to get yourself together, would we still look at this Georgia game in January as being meaningful? I would, just because, you know, they were supposed to be better and more experienced coming off of what they showed last year. It wasn't just the Ohio State game. You go back to the first time they played Notre Dame, they were dominated in that game at the line of scrimmage. So uh, this is something where I've seen not just one data point, several data points. So, yeah, I I know in theory they're supposed to be more experienced at that point, but they had an all-off season to get better. <laughs> and obviously they, they didn't look better last Saturday night. Bookmakers don't make a lot of mistakes, but I really thought they made a mistake with the Alabama-Miami line. They posted it too low. They took nothing but Alabama money, and they paid the price. Uh, <laughs> uh, one-sided game, <laughs> Crimson Tide versus the Hurricanes. But I'll tell you what, there was one thing I look for early in the season in college football. I want to see how a team reacts when they get slapped in the face. Miami got slapped in the face, and they quit. They flat-out quit in that game. It was over early. Is that a problem for the Hurricanes moving forward? Red flag? Or is this team now offer value off of that bad showing? Uh, I'm going to disagree with you. 
uh, I, I was okay uh, with Miami's performance. I, I really was. They got down. They, they got beat up early. I don't think people understand. You mentioned the bookmakers making a mistake. I think everyone makes a mistake with Alabama. They are historically great. I mean, and they're getting, believe it or not, they are getting better as a program. When they modernized their offense, they took that program to another level. I mean, who, who competes with Alabama anymore? I mean, Ohio State, Notre Dame, Texas A&M, all those teams got blown out. All top ten teams a year ago got blown out by the Crimson Tide. So I didn't downgrade Miami as much as others did in the marketplace. And believe it or not, I you know I know everyone wants to bet out App State this week. I, I like Miami this week. So another bounce back opportunity. Well, what I didn't like for Miami, I didn't like the body language. All right, it wasn't that I looked at Miami. They looked like they were done midway through the game, and that's not what I want to see from any team week one. This much I have learned over the years in college football. When a team quits once, they'll do it again. And it felt to me like Miami quit in that game. Agree or disagree? I'll disagree. Uh, you yeah, know, when you're down 27 nothing, uh, I mean, if they were to quit, I, I mean, I mean, the rest of the game. I mean, Nick Saban was ranting about it. That is team. I mean, who? what is it? Is you blaming Nick Saban because this team only outscored Miami 17-13, including, you know, a stop at the one-yard line at the goal line? I mean, after the 27 nothing first, you know, 20 minutes of the game, I mean, Miami punches in there. They actually outscore Alabama. So, strong disagreement from me, Teddy. All right. I love it. So, again, in watching the game at 41-3, to you know, uh, <laughs> yeah, Miami put a drive together. Um I didn't like their defensive effort after half. After they got stopped on downs on that first drive after halftime, I didn't like their defensive effort afterwards, and Alabama did whatever they wanted to on the offensive side of the football. So I love it when we disagree. We're supposed to disagree. If we all had the same opinion, there wouldn't be any games to bet. Let's talk about the Stanford Cardinal. That was ugly. <laughs> Kansas State. Bet on or bet against moving forward. Uh, red flag, major, major, major red flag. I mean, you could take, just look at the point spreads telling you everything about where that program is. I mean, last week, USC's at home laying 14 to San Jose State. This week, they're playing Stanford at home. They're laying 17. I mean, the win total raised a lot of eyebrows this year. We're right around three and a half, four for Stanford. Recruiting's been bad. David Shaw, I think, is one of the more overrated coaches in all of college football. The media loves him. Uh, I mean, he's trending downward and downward and downward. And I got to tell you, you talk about red flags. How about Stanford? You know, they score their first and only touchdown of the game. It's late in the game, a few minutes left. I'm thinking, oh, Stanford will go for two, try to make it a two-score game, try to make it 24 to eight. They don't. They kick the extra point. I'm like, okay, they wave the white flag. And then David Shaw decides to onside kick it. I just it made absolutely no sense whatsoever. So yeah, I am red flagging Stanford. Yeah, David Shaw was once considered to have an NFL future. Uh, he'll be lucky to make it out of the year at Stanford. It's just a program, as you I don't disagree with that at all. I pointed the wrong direction. Let's do one more team, that, a couple more teams that struggled in week one. I know we'll move on to some teams that look good. But I want to ask you about the Indiana Hoosiers, who were point spread darlings a year ago and got wiped out at Iowa last week. What do we make of the Indiana squad? Tom Allen is a guy who, you know, he rallies the troops like no other coach. But are the Hoosiers going to be good enough this time around? 
Uh, you know, they did have a couple of pick sixes against Iowa. Usually I say ah, they'll rebound from that. But i got to tell you, I think Cincinnati beats them in a couple of weeks. So I, I think Indiana will end up disappointing um, more than really turning around this year. I, I could see them losing, you know, being a 7-5 and five team at best. So I was reading one of these. Again, when you're talking about mainstream media talking about betting stuff, it's really silly. But there was somebody's formula. And again, it's one of the ESPN, one of the main writers. Uh, the, the formula was that after Oklahoma beat Tulane last week, their chances of making the playoffs went from like 65% to like 30%, even though they won the game. And I'm like, if that's what your formula is doing, you have a bad formula. <laughs> what do we do with Oklahoma after Tulane gave them everything they could handle uh, last, uh, last Saturday? And that was a defense that was supposed to be better. Tulane good, Oklahoma bad, red flag, bet on. What do we do with them? I'm indifferent, you know, a little bit of red flag for that defense. And this was finally supposed to be the year that they, that, that they made those improvements. Just obviously didn't see it, especially in the second half. But I'm not throwing them completely in the trash. They're still better than anybody in the Big 12. And, and look, it happens. They're up 37-14 at halftime. They'll let the foot off the gas pedal. That happens from time to time, Teddy. Yeah, I know. Sooners have done it <laughs> more than once in the Lincoln yeah, Riley yeah. era. And because it's week one, therefore everyone overreacts. You know, but in my mind, some someone who says, "Okay, you're up by 23 at the half, and you take your foot off the gas pedal in the first half, uh, in the second half of your first game, and now your chances for making the playoff have gone in half." To me, that's bad numbers. That's bad formula. Garbage in, garbage out. North Carolina, the last team I want to talk about when it comes to week one bad showings. Can the Tar Heels bounce back? Certainly, Mac Brown was not amused. <laughs> Uh, by their uh, loss at Virginia Tech, I think they could bounce back. They got a, a you know a veteran quarterback. They'll, they'll figure some things out at the skill position. And look, I just I knew it was going to be an issue before the game even kicked off. When I saw a jump around enter Sandman, I thought, well, I'm glad I didn't you know go in and bet North Carolina pretty large in this game. They're going to have some issues with this atmosphere. So. I'm gonna say I'm not necessarily gonna run to the window and be betting on North Carolina, but I think more often than not I'll be betting on them the remainder of the season. That's a one-off for me. Fair enough. Let's talk about some teams that look really good in Week One before we get to your best bet uh, for Saturday. Uh, NC State, boy, they look good. Uh, I guess USF didn't give them much of a competition. Uh, are we believing in the Wolfpack? No, I mean, not yet, at least. I mean, they didn't play anybody, and that that's, you know goes back to the first segment. I mean, just the stat guys and the eye test. Well, who are they playing? you got to take that into consideration. I, I wouldn't be shocked if Mississippi State beats them this week. In fact, you know, I think Mississippi State should be the one favorite. So a little bit of value, I think, betting against NC State. How about Army? Army looked really good uh, last week, and they're not a team that gets a whole lot of uh, mainstream media love. I can make money with the Black Knights up in West Point. That's a, you know, their game this week against Western Kentucky, I think is one of the most interesting games of the week just because of the contrasting styles. Western Kentucky changed their entire offense up. I can tell you this, if Army beats up Western Kentucky, they're for real. I'll just put it that way. They'll be a bet on team after this week. How about Texas? They looked real good against Louisiana on national TV last Saturday. You, I agree with you, Teddy. They did look the part. Louisiana's a really good group of five team, and there wasn't much flukiness there. I mean, offensively, defensively, there wasn't a lot of mistakes. Uh, yeah, I, I know a lot of the quasi-sharp people are betting Arkansas left and right this week. I'm not. I'm not one of them. I, I think Texas is legitimate with Sark. 
Yeah, and it's not like Texas is short on talent. The USC is another team that's not short on talent. We talked about that a minute ago. They look good in the opener. Do we believe in Clay Helton's squad, or is this a team that may be overvalued at this stage of the campaign? Yeah, as long as Clay Helton's on the sideline, that's going to be a, a no. I know they're talented, uh, but I'm a, still not a fan and a believer of Clay Helton. And we brought up UCLA just a few minutes ago, talking about the LSU-UCLA game. Now the Bruins are 2-0. and They have a couple of high-profile wins. Is there any value on this team moving forward? Or uh, you take your two UCLA tickets that you've won money with and put them in your pocket because uh, <laughs> uh, not give it back. Uh, riding the, the Bruins anymore because they're valued correctly in the markets. What do we think about the Bruins moving forward? Yeah, another indifferent. I think take your money for right now and see how they respond. they got a bye week for two weeks. People are going to be slapping them on the back. Let's see how they respond against Fresno State. I don't, I don't think there's going to continue to be value, at least at this point, on UCLA. All right, let's get a uh, best bet for you uh, for Saturday. Uh, Brad, I want to you know, thank you for giving us all this info and lots of opinions. And the concept here, again, we're going through team by team, just trying to find out week one real, week one mirage. Talk to me about something you're looking at on Saturday's card. I love the under in the Washington-Michigan game. Washington has a lack of playmakers at wide receiver. I'm not a big fan of their quarterback, and I don't think if you can't move the ball consistently against Montana, you're not doing it against what looked like an improved Michigan defense. On the other side, though, Michigan lost their best playmaker, wide receiver, for the year, and Ronnie Belly had a couple big plays, got hurt on it. So, And I expect that, you know, if Washington's going to bring it, it's going to be on the defense side of the ball. So, And then on top of it, Teddy, there's going to be some wind in the Midwest this week. So, yeah, Michigan and Washington under 48-and-a-half, my favorite bet. Sure, makes a ton of sense, especially given the cluster injuries for the Huskies at wide receiver and the loss of the Wolverines' best playmaker, Brad Powers, 30 seconds. Go quick, my friend. Promote yourself. Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter, at Brad Powers, the number seven. And you can check out all my information that I got on my website, bradpowersports.com. But, I mean, you can just check me on Twitter. I'm constantly tweeting tickets and whatnot. Yeah, Brad, an excellent follow on Twitter, someone who stuff I look for on a regular basis. Thank you so much, my friend, for joining me on Coverage with Teddy Covers. We'll talk to you again next time. We'll be right back. Thanks for having me. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. 204. I want to thank my guest, Brad Powers, at Brad Powers 7 on Twitter. Uh, really good info. And I like that concept of going through a whole bunch of teams and going, red flag, bet on. Red flag, bet on. Uh, it's just a fun discussion, uh, and I thoroughly enjoyed today's show. But before I let you guys go, we got to give at least one best bet. So let's talk a little college football uh, for tonight. Late night West Coast Saturday Night Action on the four-letter network ESPN. It's the Holy War, Utah and BYU. It's been a one-sided series. Utah has won the last nine meetings with their in-state rival. And this year, I think the difference, the differential between these two squads is significant. All right. BYU, hey, they got the good news. They're going to the Big 12. 
which, again, uh, potential distraction, but nonetheless, hey, we're not going to be uh, an independent anymore. Great, we're going to be, uh, be, it's a distracting off the field issue. On the field, you know, this is the defense. There was nothing to like about BYU last week. All right, they gave up 345 passing yards against Arizona last week. That's lost 13 games in a row. <laughs> uh, all right, defensive issues, major offseason losses. Don't love their skill position talent. You know, Utah, when you think about a model program, this is a model program under Kyle Whittington. It really went winning him. It really has been. Every year they're in contention. Every few years they compete for a title. Um, the consistency is there for the Utes. Ten offensive starters back. And the grad transfer quarterback, Charlie Brewer, from Baylor as the 11th guy. Utah's loaded. BYU's up against it. And I know the game's in Provo. It's not a home game for uh, Utah. But, you know, I'm looking at these two teams as being in different stratospheres. All right, Utah's good. BYU isn't. And, oh, by the way, Whittingham, in his last 17 tries as road favorites, the Utes have only lost against the spread five times. Thanks so much for listening. We'll do it again tomorrow right here on Sirius XM Channel 204, The Sports Grid Radio. Cheers. All those nights when you've got no lights, the check is in the mail.